Welcome to the 42nd episode of the Hail Mary podcast. I'm Atoves, and I'm joined by my husband, the Toves. We're back to give our hot takes on our exciting homecoming win over UNT and throw some Hail Mary shots downfield for listeners to love or hate. Let's get started. There was drama in the Dome Saturday afternoon as the Roadrunners pulled off a come-from-behind win in the last minute of the game. North Texas held a 6-3 lead after both offenses sputtered in the first half. UTSA took their first lead in the third quarter on a rushing touchdown from Brendan Brady after Corey Mayfield intercepted a pass. But that lead was short-lived as North Texas took just three plays to drive down the field and score the go-ahead touchdown. The Mean Green held a 13-10 lead going into what proved to be a thrilling fourth quarter. UTSA scored first on a second rushing touchdown from Brady, and North Texas answered back with a second passing touchdown. After trading punts, Avery Morris was able to partially block a punt to give the offense a short field. This time, UTSA scored on a pass to Cephas with just two minutes left in the game, but the mean green just wouldn't go away. Austinani quickly drove North Texas down the field to regain the lead. The Roadrunners had one minute and 38 seconds left on the clock and no timeouts, leaving no room for error but Frank Harris thrives in these situations. He ripped off a 22-yard run, but the drive stalled shortly thereafter, leaving UTSA facing a fourth and two. The Roadrunners went back to Zakari on a bubble screen pass that they've tried and failed at twice this season, but the third time was a charm. Much to the dismay of the mean green, who started celebrating when they thought it was short, the first down conversion was confirmed after replay. If that wasn't deflating enough for North Texas, the 33-yard, leaping, one-handed catch by Oscar Cardenas and the acrobatic touchdown catch by J.T. Clark sucked out their soul as the Dome erupted in celebration for the Roadrunners' victory. With this win, UTSA is 4-0 in conference and bowl eligible for the third time in a row. What were your thoughts on the game? Just another comeback win, right? Like We were just getting kind of getting used to this already. Uh, yeah. But uh, sure. <laughs> in full transparency, during that uh, beginning of that final drive, you know, I was trying to figure out how how are we going to start this podcast? Like, you know, failed on a fourth down conversion. You know, Latrell still owns UTSA. It, it just it just felt like how many more times can Frank and company pull this out? I get that Trailer seems confident any single time he has his guys out there, and I don't blame them. You know, right. they, I would too, right? But I, I just think that you know there, there is a, a certain point where you start thinking this magic has to end at some point, but does it have to be against UNT, right? right. Like it, it, not that any other loss will feel okay, but to North Texas, come on, like that's just yeah. Not we the thought one. it was bad after the the loss to Houston. It would have been ten times worse. If they had lost this game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just, it would not have been, I think, the best feeling going out to the parking lots after that no. game. I will say, before you talk about your thoughts in the game, uh, we did have a funny moment. We had some friends to sit in our section, uh, Brian and the guy we call Gomez. And they, at one point during the game, I was looking at some stats and I looked up and they're calling out to me and they're like, Ben, what's going on with, with Atos? And I was like, you know, you had your arms crossed, you, you had a scowl on your face, and I just looked up and pointed at the scoreboard and said, look at the scoreboard. That's why she's not happy. Like, right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you guys aren't watching the same game I am. I know it's close, but we're losing, and she's not very happy about it. So tell us how you felt in your own words. Yeah, no, it was a roller coaster of emotions, this game. I mean, I went from frustration to elation to anything and everything in between. You know, it was just one of those games where it was frustrating to watch the offense struggle in the first half. And then once they got going in the second half, North Texas just kept answering the call and it kept kind of going back and forth. And so, you know, you never really felt comfortable. You know, there have been other games that, you know, North Texas, or sorry, there have been other games where UTSA has taken the lead early, but you didn't really feel comfortable. But in this game, we were behind for the majority of the game. And that was even more frustrating that every time we took a lead, you know, we didn't help, you know, we didn't hold on to it for very long. And going into that last drive, I was 
nervous because the way the first half ended. Um, I wasn't as confident about the offense's ability to drive down the field in the way they did. And so when it happened, it was almost, you know, disbelief and elation. Yeah, I thought, as, as you said, you know, North Texas kept answering. And I was wondering if I had jinxed the team. I know that makes a lot of sense, right? But as fans, <laughs> that's what we take into account. Right. I wore my 2021 CUSA Conference Championship t-shirt that we bought, like, I think it was a day after the um, the actual game against Western Kentucky. And, you know, I was I was like, wanted to remind North Texas fans that, you know, we've got something they don't have, which is a CUSA ch- football championship, right? But then as they kept answering, I was like, oh, man, is this how they just kind of take it away? Like, right. take all that <laughs> Come and take it, and they yeah, took it. and they were taking it, man. But no, I mean, it's, I think we weren't the only ones that probably felt this way. There's certainly others that were probably kind of having to try to figure out their emotions uh, because this, this game certainly, it had its lulls, but I think it also had those moments where you're like, oh, here we go again. And it just, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, just from the very beginning, the game didn't happen the way that we expected. You know, this was supposed to be this high scoring game. You know, I think the over-under was set at like 73 points or something ridiculous. And then to see both offenses struggling, it was very much a defensive game, which was not really expected. So, you know, when you go to halftime with the score of 6-3, to three, you know, that's just not really how anybody expected this game to go. And then when you look at the stats at the end of the game, you know, going into this, the big storyline about North Texas was how many rushing yards they had gotten against Louisiana Tech. It was their school record, 400 and, you know, plus. And then to see that they ended up with 22 yards rushing, whereas UTSA, who struggled with a rushing game, you know, all season, ends up with over 200 yards and was very balanced. It was just it was just very odd, you know. This just wasn't probably the game plan that either Latrell or Trailer expected going in, and it certainly wasn't what the fans expected. But it's a rivalry. I mean, right. fan base wise, I think everything leading up to it was chippy, obviously, because you know you're a fan base and you're going after each other. But on the, you know, the players up until this part, really, North Texas was the only one that that kept acknowledging that this was, you know, a, a rivalry. Right. UTSA really did it. They would make it more backhanded. They were like, no, 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 this is just, we just got to go out there. We got to play, blah, blah, blah. Just one more game. Yeah, but at the very end, they'd go, but we don't like them. They don't like us. Mm -hmm. Okay, but that's a rivalry. (laughs) I don't care how you want to put it. There's not going to be any other team that you're going to really like, but you're really going to have a distaste, especially for your rival. And especially after what happened last season, you know, that certainly had to still, for anybody that returned, still leave that bitterness saying, you know, we, we could have ended up undefeated for the regular season, and we didn't. Mm-hmm. And it was our rival that spoiled all that fun. That last drive, though, I would say is because of payback to 2017, because 2017, North Texas did the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they took out UTSA Soul with one last drive. And, you know, it kind of felt like with that last drive, those two programs went two different directions. Right. So question to you before we start kind of getting into a couple of big plays in the in the game are do you think that this could probably send you know the teams in different directions much like in 2017 you know north texas scored in 2017 and they you know were on the up and up for a few years right and then you know utsa spiraled down do you think that this could happen where utsa continues their upward trajectory though there's not really much more upward upward trajectory to go at this point, especially this season, maybe just winning right. another conference championship back-to-back, which would be great, something the Spurs even haven't done. Yeah, that's right. I'm picking on you, Spurs. But, you know, could it spiral North Texas down some? Absolutely. I mean, there's a great picture um, that's in one of the articles from Underdog Dynasty where you have Seth Luttrell and Jeff Trailer like, just walking past each other, and so they're facing different directions, and... You know, it's kind of that perfect analogy of, are these two programs going in two different directions? I mean, last year, the fact that we lost that game really helped Seth Luttrell hold on to his job. But that doesn't necessarily mean that 
his job is safe for the long term, especially now that we're looking at going into the American conference and, um, you know, obviously competition is going to be tougher. And it's also going to come down to North Texas culture and how they respond to this. You know, this could be the game that spirals them out of control. Or if they claim that they have the culture that they do, you know, a lot of the kids after the press conference were saying, hey, we're going to be back. We're going to play these guys again for the conference championship game. You know, if they use this as, you know, momentum, then maybe, maybe not. But I certainly think that just overall looking at the direction of the UTSA program over the years, you know, we have turned it around since 2017. You know, we're building facilities. We're, you know, gaining momentum with our students. And, you know, those are things that, I mean, UT... UNT has the facilities, but they don't necessarily have the support of their students. They don't have a lot of attendance from their alumni base. I mean, we talked about that before. They have 160,000 alumni in the DFW area, and yet their attendance is, you know, by far smaller than UTSA's. So they don't necessarily have that engagement, and I think it could be. All very good points, and that's why I really wanted to bring that up to you because I thought, you know, after you gave all those nice facts at the end of the UNT preview, that this would be a good time to, you know, at least throw this out there to you and see, um, you know, where you thought this was going because certainly I think what's also going to be fun is the fact that they're still going to be in the AAC with us. This rivalry continues, whereas, you know, again, we talked about in the last pod where Texas State is sort of a rival but it's more like neighborly rivalry as opposed right. to like this bitterness because I think with North Texas, there is just that much more bitterness and we're going to get into a little bit more here as we kind of yeah. talk, talk through things in the pod. I think North Texas would love for their rival to become SMU as they go into the American Conference, but I, I don't think they're there yet and I don't think SMU looks at them that way, so... You know, well, they, it's much like, I would say, I would argue it's much like a UTSA-Texas State rival where UTSA has not lost to Texas State in football and SMU is, keeps dominating North Texas mm-hmm. in, in football. Even when they were pretty good, they were dominating them. So it's like, yeah, you know, how do you build that? You can hate them, but <laughs> if you're not really being competitive, it just loses that spark. Right. All right, so let's talk about that end of the first half because you, you briefly mentioned it. There was a couple plays that really defined the end of the first half. One of them was what looks like really an official's mistake on Zakari's reception. Um, he catches the ball, and he goes out of bounds, and it looked like he went out of bounds. Right. I mean, I mean, even on rewatch, it looked like he went out of bounds. I'm not sure what they saw. Only thing, you know, I told you offhand was, sure, it looks like, you know, the bottom of his shin may have, like, essentially laid down on the turf. But is that really, like, that would call into question a lot of other plays. If that was the case, if you're stopping the play right there and saying, you got to keep running the clock. And it it didn't really make sense, but it caused Jeff Traylor to have to use a timeout there to stop the clock. Now, that leads to, obviously, the big play where, you know, you have Frank Harris complete a pass over the middle to Josh Cephas, He's tackled, obviously, in bounds because he's over the middle, but he's well short of the first down. And for some reason, one of the officials on the North Texas sideline starts kind of blowing the stop the clock. There was no reason to stop the clock because it wasn't a first down. So at that moment, in my head, you know, I, I looked up and it was at eight seconds and the clock stopped. And I was trying to figure out, well, wait a second. I don't understand. Like, what did I see this wrong? But then I kind of started really kind of going counting in my head like how many seconds were going by and so you know real time I felt like there's no way that we would have a chance to clock this and these guys are going to be smarter and then clocking it they did clock it problem is is that once they reviewed it yeah I mean you know to be honest with you I, I the officials made the right call even if you look on the rewatch the announcing team which did a really great job Bob Davey was an analyst former coach he went through and said, yes, we, you know, we, we timed it. You know, they came back, you know, right before the beginning of halftime and said, we timed this and it was correct. It was a correct call by the officials. This is how they should have ruled. Now, Trailer, 
goes bananas on on the refs. And I think one good moment was like you know they go into the locker room and you hear the like the crowd over there by those that tunnel, you know mostly with students but also a lot of fans are booing. And what was your first reaction? Well, I didn't see the officials over there, so I thought, oh my gosh, are they booing the team? Like. I was like, this watching is, that first half, yes. I was like, but this I said is different, me. you know? Like, <laughs> I can't imagine we're turning on our own team. And you're like, no, the officials are over there. Okay, got it. I mean, I did, I did like I said, I was joking with you mm-hmm. about it. But, uh, yeah, the reaction was hilarious. Um, but, no, no, it, it they were obviously booing the officials. And to me, I, in my opinion, I think that triggered you to say coaches and the players you know, obviously be angered by not being able to at least have a chance to tie the score at halftime. It angered them to the point where, you know, it. I believe it kind of gave them a chip going in the second half and mm-hmm. I think improved the level of play that they had come out with. It certainly seemed like it did. All right, so let's talk that final UTSA drive. Obviously, incredibly clutch. That fourth down call is really what we're looking at because, you know, you start out the drive with a big... Frank Harris run. Mm-hmm. It's another kind of, I think it was a small run, and then an incomplete pass on third down. So it comes down to fourth and two. Here's the deal. From our view, it was tough to see whether, you know, Sakari had actually stretched out enough to get it. And from the way the officials were standing, it looked like it was short. And North Texas just blew up in celebration. Right, and we sit behind the North Texas bench. So, again, you know, it seemed like that was it, right? The game's over. You know, the couple or the family in front of us started celebrating. Like, I picked up my purse. I was like, all right, I guess <laughs> I guess we're done, folks. Well, and then our friend who sits by us, Big Brown, was like, he's like, oh, no, he, he made it. And I was like, and I was like, oh, really? And he's like, you don't think he did? And I was like... No, I don't. And I then told him, would it surprise you if, like, see the, these refs came back and said it was short? I right, mean, this no. is CUSA. I mean, we we've, we talked about it in the Western Kentucky game where, like, all the calls stood, you know, on the right. field. So it's like, this is going to be a replay of that, and these refs might get murdered on the way out. I mean, they, obviously we knew what happened at the end of the first half, they had called it short in the second half here at the, to end the game. Woo. Yeah, I mean, I, I figured that it would stand just because it seemed like there was kind of this back and forth and this confusion. I was very surprised when they said the call was confirmed. Then we, when we did the rewatch. You can much more clearly see mm-hmm. that he did make it. Now, I will add this. After the game, our friend the Steve was like, he was sitting on the UTSA side. So he had more of the, you know, television view of it. But the thing is, is that even he admitted that looked short. He's like, initially, I thought it looked short because I was surprised when they called it, when they confirmed it. So, mm-hmm. again, you know, obviously, you know, everybody thinks that they can see better than the refs that are on the field. But let's be honest. If you rewatch it, you did make it. There's a lot of us. You know, North Texas fans are going all conspiracy theory and saying that officials screwed them. But the reality is that every single picture that they have is of their own player with the knee down. So, made it. So now, we made it. <laughs> we still have, like, what, 45, 45 or so yards to go, or 40 yards to go. Right. And then, the play. I told you, how many more times does Frank have it in, Frank and company have it in them to make a last-minute drive? Right. How many more times do we get to see, though, Frank and Oscar? Oscar is such an underrated tight end. You know, we, we talk talk a lot about his blocking. You know, he's been kept in, you know, essentially to help with, you know, a lot of the blocking over the last two seasons when, you know, if you could actually get him out into the field, he does have great hands. You know, he's much more athletic than he might seem right. for a big guy, but he made a catch. And really, it wasn't a very good throw. Because yeah. Oscar had to jump up and put his big paw up there just to even attempt to make that catch. Right, and then the fact that he not only held on to it, I don't know how he landed on his feet, and then still had the wherewithal to hurdle the guy on the ground. Like, I mean, absolutely impressive. He had the big catch against UAB last season, obviously, that 
secured the championship um, spot. Mm-hmm. He then has this one moment this season, which he again had a terrific catch against Houston. But what did you say about it? Nobody remembers it because we lost the game. Right. Got a chance to talk to Adrian from Alma Demontable after the game. I mentioned it to him, and he's all, oh, you are correct. Like, I forgot about that. He's like, but you're right. We, we forget about it because it's we lost. And, right. and it's... We would have, like, three Hall of Fame photos right now, you know, in the race facility if we'd won that. Because you know this one's probably up already. Like, they've, <laughs> they're, they've got it blown up. It's happening. Can we change it from race to Oscar? I don't know if, how it works out, but it's the Oscar facility now, folks. It's this is just the how Oscar it's gonna happen. Facility, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We have to do Oscar and make it like you know some sort of acronym. Yeah, for that. So anyway, that it doesn't even score the touchdown. So already, like everybody's like, holy cow! And obviously, the defense, the North Texas defense, is stunned. Right? They're they're reeling at this point. Well, yeah, they're stunned from the fact that they didn't get the the fourth down stop, and then you know this catch happens, and they're even more stunned. We go tempo, which is big here, and I knew that it was going to be a touchdown because, much like Western Kentucky, much like you know Army, Army all these other games. I mean, I, I could start listing every single one of them. You go one on one with J T. Clark, and you're going to lose because J T. is going to go up and get the ball. Frank, there's a perfect jump ball in the corner. Surprise, surprise, it's a touchdown. And there's no even there's no question to it because he came down with both feet. Yeah. An NFL right. touchdown catch. So that's the game. What's so brilliant about that last drive, though, is just those last two plays. And the fact that, again, I'll say this. Frank did not have a great throw to Oscar, yet he still is able to make a play. And then that final jump ball, the way JT just handles his body in the air, his body control, tells you everything about how this, this guy's going probably going to be in the NFL. I mean, right. it's just huge. And interestingly, you know, JT brought up in the after-game press conference that it was kind of the opposite of the UAB game, where JT had the big catch, and Greg Lucas said it was a 33-yard catch. I haven't fact-checked him. I'm just going to go with that. But he said, you know, 33-yard catch, he gets out of bounds. The next play after, shortly after that is Oscar with that crazy catch in the end zone. So this time it's Oscar getting a 33-yard catch and then JT getting an amazing catch in the end zone. So it's almost like just in reverse. Those two dudes. Those yeah. two dudes. So clutch. All right. Let's talk special teams. Here's an interesting thing for you. It's like post-game, Trailer immediately said that he felt the special teams was terrific. Now, I'm going to back up real quick to the that fourth quarter, you know, last drive. Because mm-hmm. as soon as we scored, Big Round looked at me and so, looked at us, actually, and said, we should just onside it, right? And to a point, we did. Right. And UNT messed around with the ball, couldn't get control of it. And, you know, I think it was Avery Morris. No, I'm sorry, Martavius French who came up with, that, with the ball. But it felt like recency bias because it didn't feel like the special teams really had a great game. Yet, Trailer comes right out and says, oh, what a game from special teams. Well, yeah, I mean, that was the, the last thing you remember is this great play from special teams. So, yeah, that was kind of my thought. Like, again, are you talking about, like, the last five seconds of the game? Or are you talking about the game overall? Because, you know, we had... One great field goal by Sackett, but we had one missed field goal. And it was a bad miss. I mean, it, it didn't yeah. even. It wasn't like it was even close. I mean, it really was off to the left badly. Right. I mean, you had a great punt by Dean, but then you had kind of a so-so punt by Dean as well. So it, it was sort of like inconsistent. So to say that... That's a, that's a great way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, and then the fact that we kept having these pooch punts which we were doing on purpose so that... Oh, pooch kickoffs. Oh, yes. Sorry. Pooch kickoffs. So that, um, you know, North Texas couldn't return the ball or or wasn't, you know, getting these big returns, but we were still giving them, like, 10 yards, you know, in most cases. It might have been more than that. And what was surprising was we found out afterwards why because they have a pretty good returner. Right. And you have a connection to it. Yeah. I mean, he came from Tarleton. And yes, he did have a fabulous kickoff return 
for a touchdown last year when Tarleton was playing Dixie State, but Tarleton was playing Dixie State, you know, and I think he had a great kickoff return against UNLV, but, you know, they're average at best. So are we saying that our our faith in our return coverage is on the level of Dixie State, which has <laughs> been an FCS program for like two years? I mean, I think that's what we're saying. But no, really, it, it is interesting the way they decided to handle that, you know, you know to your point, I, I think you would argue some of the things about, like, you know, injuries and how it's decimated and why they're having to do some of these things. Sure. You know, I, I think we have two strong leg kickers, and unless Sackett was maybe injured or had something yeah. else going on, you know, it, it was bizarre to see them just kick it short mm-hmm. and, you know, essentially give away some yards and field position because, you know, especially late in the game the reason it was more bizarre to me was because you really, to me, couldn't afford them to have that short field position. Right. Like, right. Not when Austin Ani suddenly decided he knew how to pass. <laughs> I mean, yes, that's a good point. Really good performance, though, from Avery Morris. And I'll say this. I say it's a really good performance because he ends up on the hip of the punter. Bad, though, because I wish he would have stretched out or just tackled the punter. Right. Because... It, the punter hadn't even gotten close to actually, you know, punting the ball. So yeah, you he could see made the indecision where he thought, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a roughing call here and I'm just going to pull my arm back in. And it was bizarre. I mean, it just, I think he was, he might have been surprised by the fact that he got there so quick. But on the other hand, make a play. Mm-hmm. Like, this is this is what what the coaches tell you to do. So it kind of nudges a punter. So it was sort of a partial block, but he could have had a much better, much better block, put him up, set him up in a much better field position. You know, and, and really start putting that stake in UNT's heart. So Yeah, an interesting stat. That was the first time UTSA has had a punt blocked since 2018 against North Texas. <laughs> Funny how these things connect, right? Right. All right, let's talk real quick about this underrated moment. I told you about it. Yeah. But I'll let you describe it. Yeah, I, I don't know what I was doing. I wasn't paying attention, and, you know, all of a sudden... Well, I mean, it was a punt, but I think mostly everybody kind of looks at where the ball is or whatever, right. and I just happened to look across, because it was, it was kind of across from me. Right, and so Tove says, you know, Walker Beatty picked up Lucas Dean kind of in this, like, lifts him off the ground, and, and the way you described it was almost like he was about to do, like, the lift from Dirty Dancing, you know, like, lift him <laughs> over his head. And so when we went to go watch the rewatch, I thought surely they're not going to show that. But nope, there it is. You see Walker Beatty lifting Dean up, you know, and how that had not already gotten all over the internet, I'm not, I just, I don't understand because it's hilarious. It was, (laughs) I mean, it was so glorious. I was like so giddy, the fact that I got, that you got to see it because I was like, I was with you. I was like, how did nobody else capture that? Like, I know we're I know we're paying attention to the ball, like I said, right. to preface this. But what a moment from you know obviously two UGC players. It's just it's hilarious because you know last season, Leroy Watson and Hunter Duplessis would like do a shimmy after right. any extra point or field goal kick. So you know it's these kind of cool moments between the team that you kind of get to kind of get a little insight on that is just fun. And it's nice to see special teams getting a little bit of love, even though we just criticize them. Yeah, because. <laughs> There, I don't remember what game it was, and maybe you'll remember, but there was a game when Yanni Roostis um, had come back, and I, I don't remember if he was the one who had punted or if he was just, like, holding for a field goal kick, but he comes back to the sideline, and no one's paying attention to him, and so he's trying to, like, high-five, and he just ends up, like, high-fiving the air, and they showed yeah. it on TV. <laughs> it was just, like, the saddest moment, like, no love you know, for the UTSA special teams. I believe it was a field goal. I, no, it was a punt because I think he came back. And I mean, he was I, I, I feel like it had to be a punt because it, there was that point in time when, like, Yanni Roostis was really kind of the star of the team for a moment. <laughs> but yet nobody is, like, paying him any attention. And now we have these, like, you know, great... Meme- moments, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, let's talk offense. Um, look... My preview, I said, impose, they had to impose themselves on UNT's defense by dictating the tempo and physicality. I would say they did that to a, a certain extent, you know, but it felt like it just took much longer than I thought that it would. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not 
trying to really knock North Texas' defense. Um, it, it just... It was just bizarre to me as how, like, these are really two statistically bad defenses. So how did North Texas, with some of these really good... Honestly, some really good pieces on defense, how are they so so bad? And I, I don't know that I necessarily got that answer, except for the fact that they were very much a bend but don't break defense. And I think that really frustrated uh, Frank and the offense. That said... My guy, Stats of War, on, on Twitter put out his net success rate graph. And what it tells you is, you know, your team's offensive plays against the other team's offensive plays and you know who had the better success rate. And it's really termed, did we really get beat that bad? And UTSA really did beat North Texas that bad. Granted, the numbers are actually much tighter on the graph. So... It looks worse than it is, but it wasn't that bad. That said, you know, the question was, well, why was that? Like, obviously, it's the conversation starter. It looks like UTSA dominated this game offensively, but you look at the score and you're like, well, why is it 31-27? Well, here's why. It really came down to UTSA really struggling against the 122nd ranked North Texas defense. They just couldn't get... You talked to me about this, and it was like, it was methodical drive after methodical drive. It was at North Texas defense coming up and not really allowing this UTSA offense to really have big plays. And because of it, it it really forced UTSA to have to march down the field slowly. And you told mm-hmm. me early on, first half, there was like drives of like more than 10 plays a right. few different times and a few different times come up with no points. There's right. turnovers on downs. That said, North Texas, while... They weren't as methodical. They hit on some big plays, and because of it, that's what shrinks this, to me, the score. Mm-hmm. You know, That's why it ends up 31-27, because you end up seeing that these two, these two teams are taking shots at each other, and it looks like North Texas is taking more knockout shots, while you know, UTSA is just going body blow, body blow, body blow, body right. blow, and wearing them down to the end. And that's what Trailer said afterwards. Um, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it was just interesting when you go back and actually look at how many plays there were on the game, or on the possessions where North Texas scored. I mean, there was only one drive that took a lot of, a lot of time. There was nine plays, three minutes, 28 seconds. Um, but most of their scoring plays... You know, five plays, 50 seconds, got a touchdown. Three plays, a minute and 20 seconds, touchdown. But, I mean, they're they're short as compared to UTSA that had a 10-play, four-minute and 38-second drive that we had a turnover on downs. A 10-play, four-minute and 27-second drive that ended in a missed field goal. You know, 12 plays, five minutes, 34 seconds ends in a field goal. So a lot of our plays really took a lot of time off the clock, but they didn't result in a lot of points. And even the ones that we did get a touchdown, you know, nine plays to get a touchdown, 12 plays to get a touchdown, seven plays to get a touchdown, seven plays to get a touchdown. I mean, we were, we were certainly taking a lot of time off the clock to get to those points. And again, it goes, it goes to this North Texas defense. They gave up a ton of yards, but only gave up 31 points, Mm -hmm. you know, and they kept... They kept North Texas in the game, and I highlighted defensive end Mazine Richards as someone to watch. He had a great impact on the game early on, and then throughout the game, he would pop up all of a sudden, once again, you know, making some sort of big play. He was plucked out of Division Two, Eastern New Mexico, by <laughs> by Phil Bennett and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Seth Luttrell. It seems weird to say this, but, you know, he seemed like he held up really well against you know, a UTSA offensive line that's much more FBS than they are Division Two or FCS. Right. You know, you would have thought that he would have much more of a learning curve. But, man, let me tell you, there were some moments out there that I was like, this guy, if he had been at North Texas, maybe more of his career, he might be a, a much bigger impact player for them. That said, cornerbacks Rich Tejada and Deshaun Gaddy, I thought, did really well in terms mm-hmm. of coverage with, you know, the the big three, they limited the yards after contact, right. which was big because you give up yards after contact to, you know, our big three receivers, you're going to have a long day. And I think that that 
that kind of leads into this discussion real quick about Frank Harris. Did not have a very good game. I thought it was interesting afterwards, post-game, that trailer came out and even said, yeah. you know, we hung in this game, we're able to win it, even though Frank did not play well at all. Which is then interesting because he today is named Conference USA Offensive Player of the, of the, of the week. week. Yeah. Goes back to something you had already talked about, you know, which was, again, the recency bias. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about the drive, yeah, absolutely. Offensive player of the week. That last, you know, a minute and 38 seconds, amazing. But that wasn't how the whole game played out. You know, he just was a little bit off and, and it was just enough. You know, it was almost like he was seeing ghosts at time, ghosts at times, that it was just enough to not allow the offense to get in a rhythm. Interestingly enough, you know, I, I was... I had jotted a couple of notes to myself down. And then when I listened to uh, Greg Luca and JJ after they do their post game, you know, kind of off the cuff thing, you know, um, Greg actually had said, you know, they kept dropping a bunch of players, a bunch of people back in coverage. And because of that, you know, essentially you were forced to have to run the ball, which is, why UTSA kind of went much more methodical and running the ball. Okay. And I think that's what more teams honestly wanted them to do because of the fact that they don't really have explosiveness in terms of the running back. That said, I think they also confused uh, Frank a lot. I thought Phil Bennett really threw some, you know, he would show a blitz and then all of a sudden back off everybody into coverage. So you'd have like rushing four and then you've got eight back in coverage mm-hmm. or seven, sorry. <laughs> um, I got the wrong numbers. Math is hard. And it, it can be tough. But when when he was doing that, like, they were doing it at the snap of the ball. So this is where at least it takes away the ability for Frank to actually make adjustments mm-hmm. because he's being shown one thing. And if he makes that quick quick adjustment, it maybe tells, say, like his you know wide receiver to go on a hot route and go short. It might sit right there in the zone defense where a defender is. So, again, has problems. Now, the other thing was is that, you know, as Greg noted as well, and, you know, I saw as well, was that they were keeping in, you know, Oscar and Dan Dishman at times to help with the blocking. Well, now you're only sending out the big three, and then you've got essentially seven, eight guys in coverage. I, there's no way that Frank's, Frank's going to have all day to throw. He's just not going to have anybody to throw to. Right. So, you know, I think that that really hurt him, but I think – the biggest thing that hurt him was early on his first pass is intercepted and when it was it felt like he just wasn't the same after that yeah again got in his head a little bit yeah and you know and it felt like the coverages kept throwing him off as well this is something that i think that will stein and matt maddox are going to have to work on because they have to find a way to get him in better rhythm i, I get that there are certain plays that like you know frank really likes but i think sometimes you need to you know take a look at what the defense is showing you and then run a few plays, you know, adjust that, you know, initial script to get him into some sort of rhythm. That way we get that offense flowing. That said, rushing offense was terrific. Brendan Brady rushed for 112, 112 yards, two touchdowns on 19 carries. I told you, I was like, I didn't realize he had 112 yards. Right. He had some bigger runs, but I, I, I told you, how did he get to 112? Because, you know, he had a long of like 22 yards, right. but... When did he get there? Yeah, I mean, he was averaging 5.9 yards per carry, which, you know, is really substantial when you look back at the production that we've had so far this season. You know, he was getting little chunk plays, but, you know, he's been getting about three yards. So he's getting two more yards each one of those plays. So then by the end of the game, you know, he's at 112 yards. And again, it, it didn't seem like, that big spectacular run, you know, there were a couple of times that he, he broke off, but then he would get, you know, stopped before he could really get too far downfield. So um, it, it was really kind of that um, workhorse-like game that we'd seen in the past from Sincere. Thank you. And that's what I was going to reference because I said you you were, had said it actually perfectly to me um, as you described that because you told me, oh, it's very Sincere-like. And I said, yes, but Sincere had like a 50 yard run it was so spectacular and we're like oh you know since you're so great and then you'd see him have like 112 yards you know 115 yards or so 
and you'd be like, wow, take out that big run, and it was the sort average of, is it like was, three to yeah, four yards. Yeah. yeah, and he's he's still getting yards, and he's still falling forward, but it's not as as big. And I think Brendan just suffers from the fact that he doesn't get those fifty to sixty yard you know runs um, that are a little bit more spectacular. Um, Kevorian Barnes, another big spark. You know, I wish we had seen him more during the game. It mm-hmm. felt like he, it felt like he needs just more carries. Right. And hopefully, you know, he's able to be afforded that because you know there's certainly a need for his fresh legs at this point in the season. All that to say, the player of the game is actually players of the game, and it's Kavorian and Brendan. I get that Frank won the CSA, you know, weekly honors, so he can revel in that. I think it's more important for Brendan and Kavorian to feel good about the fact that Hail Mary Pod said that they, yeah, were, they, had, they the were the players of the game. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm sure. I they're, mean, they're they're, they're going to be popping some uh, sodas. I don't know. What are Gatorade? Yeah. I don't know. I won't say liquor and things in the season. I'll let them, you know, celebrate. It's a bye week. They can have a champagne. You Whatever. Know All right. Let's move on to the defense. Well, uh, before this gets out of hand on offense. Look, I had said in the, the preview, they need to stop the run by saying, you know, discipline in their gap assignments to force the pass and then stay focused on those play-action passes. You know, honestly, I I thought they did. And I made a comment to you at one point, like, I think it was maybe like in the fourth quarter, I think I leaned over to you and I said, you know, statistically, statistically, this is exactly what we wanted. Right. We wanted them to rush, you know, like 20 or so rushes or so, but then see like passing it like... 30, mm-hmm. 35 passes, because that means that we did our job. And, you know, holding them to 22, 22 yards after um, they went off 475. Now, granted, it's can flop tech. I won't minimize that that much, but you can't expect that every single week. It's just right. a fun thing to do. But what happens after a big week like that? Your opponent notices. Right. And they're going to make adjustments because they don't want to have 475 yards of offense from your running backs on them. I thought that they did a very good job of doing that. Now, gave us some big plays through the air. Sure. A lot of it was, to me, um, you know, there was a few big plays on Trey Moore. He was put in coverage. Look, yes, he gave up a, a big pass play to Roderick Burns. He gave up some passes to some tight ends on wheel routes, on essentially out to the sidelines. To me, you can't afford to have Trey in coverage like that. You know, I think that's an adjustment that needs to be made. It and it's just... kind of the same thing you saw in the Army, right? Where exactly. some of the bigger plays were when there was a, a tight end or a wide receiver being covered by a linebacker versus a safety or a cornerback. Right. Our safeties were a little bit better this this week. Um, there was one where they, they didn't hand off correctly, and Kalechi was put in a bad position. He gave up a touchdown, but he shouldn't have been the guy covering. And, you know, we did the rewatch, and again, Bob Davey did a phenomenal job of cutting through the play and saying Kalechi was not supposed to be in that position. He wasn't supposed to be covering, uh, I forget the guy's name, I think it's Grums or something like that. Um, Varkis Grums, I, I believe his name is, I could be saying his last name correctly. But he got away with a, a few big plays because of that. And, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, those aren't. Those are things we can clean up. Mm-hmm. What we can't clean up, apparently, is substitutions. Once again, we're substituting very sluggishly. Was not really a good view for me for to see essentially a big play from North Texas early in the game. You know, it had a third down. We substituted very slowly, and half the team was still looking at the sideline. Yeah. And Jair Shorter catches his only pass of the game. 58 yards and takes, you know, North Texas into good field position. Uh, and, you know, we've had these problems before, but they continue happening. We've, I don't know how many more times we want to talk about it. But the thing is to me is that I, I think it's a big issue. Right. You know, our defensive coordinator was has been the defensive coordinator since about the mid-2020. Now he had a partner in Rod Wright last season that I think helped with some of those issues, but you see them keep cropping up at the wrong time. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's going to cost you a game. And in this one, it really could have been one of the big reasons why we lose a game. I think that there needs to be at least a big reevaluation of, you know, lap. And the reason I say that is because think about it in your own 
real world, when you're at your job, you see a guy that continually kind of fumbles, has the same issues over and over, there's always some sort of corrective action. There's always something that creeps up. We've seen the substitution issues. We've seen the calls late out to secondary, which is his group. Those can't continue to happen and think that you can continually really progress with this program. That's an overall defense still played well. And it's tough to say that. Tough to criticize a guy and say, you know, you're having the same problems, but your defense played well, you know, on the rush. And honestly, passing-wise, I mean, they really only gave up like about 340 yards. They've been giving up 465 before this kind of run, you know, against, you know, uh, FIU and now North Texas. So stats-wise, it looked better, but... (laughs) Yeah, and, just, and the tackling was improved, but at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, how much better could we be if some of these other things were cleaned up? Very good point. I think that that's exactly where we want to put it here because we really want to end with who our defensive player of the game is. That's Corey Mayfield. He had four stops, broke up three passes, picked off his second pass of the season. You know, we're fortunate to have like really good cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. You know, Nick Troy has played really well this season. He was a great transfer portal addition. Corey has been in here, and, you know, I think there's a lot of times that people thought that he wasn't maybe going to be that big-time player, but he's really turned into, to me, a good shutdown corner. And, uh, again, celebrate it, Corey. Hail Mary Pot doesn't throw out these kudos all the time. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> pops of champagne, pops of Gatorade with Kavorian and Brendan, uh, and we'll move on. All right, Atos, what did we learn from the game? We need this bye week more than ever. I mean, Us he, or the team? The team. <laughs> but we need a quiet bye week where we don't have to, you know, have the drama we did last year. But the team needs to get healthy. I mean, there were even more injuries to the O-line this game. You saw Terrell Haynes go down for a little bit. You know, it just it just seems like these guys are just even more beat up than than they really have ever been. And you know what? This would make this much more impressive. Yeah, as much as Trailer has like lamented all these injuries or whatever, he's got the team at six and two. Right. It shows that he's really a good coach, and that this coaching staff has been able to make adjustments despite injuries to really very critical positions. Yeah, and let's be honest, we're still about four to seven points, so almost a touchdown, a field goal to a touchdown better than, you know, many of these Conference USA foes, most of them which are at the top of the standings. Mm-hmm. So that is, I think, crucial that, yes, we've taken care of business and we're beat up, so we're going to get healthier, but it's just not going to get any better. I yeah. mean, it's, it's just not. And you had a great quote from what Trailer said, or Trailer had a great quote at the very end of his post-game conference. Yeah, he said... Healthy teams don't win championships. Tough teams do. And we're clearly a tough team. I mean, that's part of the culture, right? So fits in terrifically. Yeah. Um, we did learn after the game that Rashad Wisdom is going to be out for the remainder of the season. He's going to have to have surgery. But he did announce that he'll be back for his super senior season. And on the radio, um, trailer mentioned that Makai Hart and Brandon Matterson are likely going to come back next year because they'll get medical red shirts for this season as well. Interesting. Interesting. I think, uh, you know, obviously a big loss with Rashad in terms of on-field leadership, mm-hmm. but I think production-wise, we had been wondering, you know, is he really making that big of an impact, you know, like in like past seasons? So, you know, I think the production can be, you know, somebody else can actually, I think, uh, put up his production numbers, but it's still a depth loss. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because it seems like we have, you know, other playmakers, he's really, like we said before, he's not having to make all of those big plays that we relied on in the past. And likely we're going to see Ken Robinson out on the field more, which I think everyone was kind of looking forward to seeing Ken Robinson, you know, he's moved from corner to safety, but seems to be really, you know, learning that role, doing a great job. So between him and Kalechi, you know, it's not going to be perfect, but I think we'll be okay. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you talked about being bold eligible at the end of the recap. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing was there was nothing in the stadium, you know, in the Alamodome that said we're bowl eligible. It really was kind of this afterthought. I mean, I didn't even, it didn't occur to me until I saw 
Jared Sackett had posted something on Instagram and they're holding up their bowl eligible t-shirts. And then all of a sudden that like snap. Oh yeah, that's right. We're bowl eligible again in October. I mean, this is only the second time we've been bowl eligible in October. Last year, obviously, it was very much on the forefront of our minds because we were 6-0 and when we made the bowl eligibility. But, you know, this is the third year in a row that we're going to go to a bowl. And it's so different now than it was, you know, in the Frank Wilson era where we were trying to get to bowl eligibility that very last game and, you know, wondering if we were going to get there. We got to six. And does that mean we're going to get to a bowl? And now it's like an afterthought because we're so focused on, are we going to get to the conference championship game? Then I would say the injuries that you talked about previously right now, there's other things on the mind of the team. And I think that that's, that's just where the fans are as well. Fans are also arguing about other stuff online. We won't go into, but I, I, there's just so many things that are going on that we just, this, this is a great moment. You know, obviously, you know, we're talking about the conference championship and potentially returning to do that. Lo and behold, we are at, alone at the top of CUSA. And right. who owns their destiny? We absolutely own our own destiny. And it's a great place to be. You know, we still have UAB the week after the bye week. And it's going to be a tough game. Honestly, it's the last game on our schedule where we might not be favored just because we're playing in Birmingham. But UAB has already lost twice. They lost to Western Kentucky, which we're going to talk about in a second, and they lost to Rice. So they're not the team that we're going to face in the championship. And at this point, even if we lose that game, we'll still likely be in, in the conference championship if that's the only game we lose. So we're in a really good position. I mean, obviously, we can't get too comfortable because we do have other teams that would love to upset us. You know, Rice has already played spoiler to UAB. They'd love to play spoiler to us. We still have several games on the schedule, but at the end of the day, we're in a really good position. And the two teams that are right behind us, North Texas and Western Kentucky, have to play each other next week. And we've beaten both of them, so we right. still own the tiebreaker. So the margin of error is much bigger, and I think that was the crucial part of right. this weekend's win is that we got to have our, you know, we control our own destiny as opposed to, hold, you know, hoping that somebody else can help us out. Right. And, I mean, I think the worst part of losing to North Texas not only would have been just losing to North Texas, but it also would have been the thought that if we fought our, our way back to making that conference championship game, we might have to play them in Ditton in December in the cold and the rain. And let's be honest, that hasn't ended well the last couple of times. So It hasn't. So hopefully, you know, this this continues, but at the very least, positive signs because the schedule gets easier in quotation marks right. um, during November. But, you know, you still have to take care of business. You caught something pretty cool during the game as we kind of swerve away from the seriousness of, you know, talking about the conference race, talking about Mm -hmm. our injuries. Now let's talk about some fun parts here. There's something you caught, um, and I think everybody else saw it, but... Yeah, well, absolutely. Go ahead and go over it. I mean, there's been kind of this argument on Twitter recently about what our fourth quarter tradition should be. And, you know, there's been a couple of different people who've suggested that we bring out a different flag. Maybe the Triangle of Toughness flag. Maybe the Let's Go 2-0 flag. Well, why do we want to fly flags? I don't know. <laughs> we've, got, we've got this thing with flags. But, you know, apparently that's not what the students want in the first place. And, you know, just watching them in the fourth quarter when they're playing swag surfing and seeing all of the students really getting into that. And then, of course, the announcer kind of called it out. Those are the kinds of things that are more organic in terms of tradition. And, you know, I'm not saying that this has to be the tradition again, but seeing something like that, to me, I think that would be more impactful if it was something that came from the students. You know, you look at some other programs. Iowa State plays Sweet Caroline. The students go crazy when that song comes on. Wisconsin plays Jump Around. You know, those aren't things that the alumni base or UTSA athletics or Wisconsin Iowa State athletics said hey why don't we play XYZ song and see what that that looks like in the fourth quarter you know those are obviously things that just happen naturally and so 
you know, I thought it was a great moment. Who knows if that will be something that catches on, but I think that's really what UTSA needs to look for in terms of developing our traditions, not something that's imposed on the students that they may not enjoy. Yeah, you know, and we've heard so many like alumni and, you know, or people that just support UTSA that keep wanting what they want as opposed to the students. So I'm glad you talked this out a little bit because it was a really good moment. Yeah. Not only that, it was <laughs> in post game, there were some good moments. Rumors of a little bit of a scuffle in the tunnel between North Texas and UTSA. Yeah, don't know exactly what happened, but um, if you haven't seen it, there were tweets by both JJ Perez and by um, I Brett Vito, Brett Vito from, North, from Texas. North Texas about, you know, something that happened between North Texas and UTSA kind of sounds like maybe it was between the coaches and some players from UTSA. Probably not coming out because I'm sure this is not a good look for North Texas coaches, but really, again, sort of goes back to and cements this is absolutely a rivalry game, you know, but just sort of interesting. Wish we had more details to share. But on the fun side of things, after the game, we went out to celebrate because, of course, you had to celebrate that thrilling victory. Um, and we stopped by Alibis, and lo and behold, who was there? It's my quarterback, Dalton Stern. Dalton Stern. <laughs> Came out in the fourth quarter with Sincere McCormick, you know, goes over to Alibis to celebrate, and he was having a fabulous time. Oh, he was. It was um, great. He leaned over at one point to our friend, uh, Big Brown, and <laughs> said what? He said, I don't know if you know this, I used to play football for UTSA. <laughs> Brown's oh. like, I know. <laughs> yeah, let's go. He was so excited. Um, no, he 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 had a good time. I, oh, I'm yeah. saying this. He had Daddy's a very home. good time. <laughs> he kept saying that over and over. Daddy's home. <laughs> like it was just it was just fun, and you know, hopefully, we have some kind of fun moment like that, and you know, five ten years with Frank Harris. That'd be, be great both of them, let's be honest, with yeah. both of them. Because, let me tell you something real quick, Dalton had some moves on him. Oh, All yeah, right? he's got some dance moves. He had some moves. Um, he was really moving there. And so, yeah, um, uh, I look forward to the next time I ever see Dalton dancing. Because I'm just going to sit back and love it. Because that's 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 but all I did. I again, just... maybe, maybe he <laughs> was able to, you know exact revenge for that 2017 game get some good karma going you know whatever we suck their soul out and then essentially dalton dances all over it i love it that's right all right before we go let's talk about what else happened in conference usa this past weekend alluded to it already but western kentucky took down uab 20 to 17 uab's quarterback apparently got hurt they had a backup quarterback playing overall there were Four turnovers, three fumbles, and an interception. Um, But surprisingly, UAB only had four penalties. Ultimately, this was a good game for UTSA because, again, now UAB has two losses um, going into the game against UTSA. The more I I watched that game, and I was watching it like we were at our nephew's six-man private school, middle school football team, football yeah. game. and Focusing on the football game, yeah, watching UAB I was Western watching Kentucky. UAB <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, with my AirPod in. Um, and, you know, they look up and see our nephew make a play or something, then go, okay, cool, great, you're awesome. All right, what's going on here? Western Kentucky showed just how fallible they are because they were at home and they still couldn't really put away UAB. And I think With a second-string quarterback. Yeah. Now, granted, you know, you know, they, they didn't really prepare for him. That said, that quarterback, like, just looked like, you know, looked like he needed, didn't really get many reps. Mm-hmm. So, because of it, you know, it looked a little rough out there. The only reason I think that UAB stays in that game is because, as you noted, four penalties. Normally, you know, last season they were, like, averaging, like, 12 or 13 penalties. Sure. And they were all big penalties. They were all, like, personal fouls. So, mm-hmm. you know, giving up a ton of yards. Obviously a much better game in that sense, like you said. But... You know, they really struggled, and I think they really missed Bill Clark. 
Uh, you know, not to say that Brian Vincent as an interim isn't, you know, a good coach. It's just that it's tough to replace a legend. Yeah. Rice beat Louisiana Tech in overtime 42-41. to I leaned over at you and I said, oh, Rice is losing 10-0 in the first quarter. And then I leaned over to you later on. I think it was, I can't remember if it was in Alibi's or if it was out in the parking lot. It was in the parking lot. That I said, oh my God, Rice won. And you're like, what? Yeah. I mean, you know, they had to go to overtime to, to get the win. Um, we'll have to go back and, and watch that game as we prepare for those two. But... Um, Kind of surprised. I mean, Rice is certainly inconsistent, um, but didn't expect Louisiana Tech to take him down to the wire. Yeah, it, it's Mike Bloomgren is doing a good job there. Um, another kind of surprise was uh, UTEP beat FAU twenty-four to twenty-one. We thought FAU was actually going to be good this year. <laughs> uh, Willie Taggart has really struggled with that program, um, so much so that you know. I don't know how much longer he stays. Yeah, and UTEP, you know, we thought it might be a struggle for them to get back to bowl eligibility, but they are at um, four wins. They still have FIU on their schedule, so, you know, they just got to squeak out one more, either Middle Tennessee or Rice. I mean, definitely not UTSA. So, you know, very good chance that they could get back to another bowl game, which would be huge for uh, for UTEP. The only thing that concerns me is if they go into that last weekend against UTSA and they're, you know, hoping for bowl eligibility because oh, yeah. we had this, that's the same scenario as last season against sure. North Texas. Now it'll be in the comforts of the dome as opposed to like, the elements. you know, yeah, being in the elements or, you know, being in El Paso. But, you know, again, it's you're going to be playing a hungry team, and then you're going to be wondering if you're actually in, if you're going to the conference championship, then you're looking at how you're going to essentially uh, get your players ready and, you know, you know how, how long do they play, blah, blah, blah. It, it, it all comes into play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then good for FIU because they got their first conference win against Charlotte 34-15, to and then Charlotte promptly fired their coach. Tough look for Will Healy, but you know what? Um, hadn't really made much progress, you know. They, no. So you know they, they made the decision to fire him, and let's be honest, Charlotte's behind in a lot of a lot in terms of facilities and um, honestly money when it comes to UTSA and UAB, and with them those two programs being near the top and Charlotte struggling just to even get to a bowl, you know, they need to do something to kickstart that program in order to be ready for AAC, and it's going to be tough if they're having problems with money. You're not even getting a big, big time coach there. Yeah. Um, so looking forward to basketball season. It's quickly approaching. The Rowdy Jam is on Thursday, the 27th, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. at the historic Convo. So if you want to come out and learn more about the basketball team and and start to, you know, get in the spirit, um, go ahead and, and join the Rowdy Jam. Um, they also had the standings for pre-conference standings going into um, basketball season. The men were picked to finish last in CUSA. Um, so we got nowhere to go but up. <laughs> yeah, that's safe to say. Um, the women were picked to finish ninth, but the surprising thing was um, Jordan Jenkins was on the preseason all-conference team. Jordan is a transfer, which is why you probably haven't heard of her. Uh, she is coming in from USC, where she led the team in points, free throws made, and field goals made. And she was Pac-12 Most Improved Player. So a really exciting transfer coming into the team. Looking forward to great things from the women's team. Again, you know, hopefully both of our teams, men's and women, exceed expectations this year. As you said, I mean, even with the women's team, nowhere to go but up. They, Absolutely. You know, the women's team bottomed out a couple of seasons ago and looking forward to just seeing what, what Coach Aston can put together over there. Yeah, she's got some really great recruits that are coming in and some really great freshmen this year. So. Yep. Um, on the soccer front, um, they beat Western Kentucky on Sunday 1-0. They wrap up their conference play on Friday at Park West, 7 p.m. against UTEP. So one more chance to come out and watch the women. They did earn um, a conference berth, so they will be playing in uh, the champion or in the uh, tournament. 
Um, they ended the conference so far at 3-3-3. Three, three, and three. Again, we still have the game against um, UTEP, but um, they will be playing um, in the conference tournament November 1st through 7th in Charlotte. So hopefully they're able to make a run like they did last year. Yeah, you know, they had a tough conference slate where they just – they just could not score, and it felt like there was just like an invisible plate <laughs> helping the opposing goalie mm-hmm. keep the ball out of the net. So hopefully they can find some scoring in this tournament because I think they, based on what I've seen from the team, they can make a run. Absolutely. All right, well, I think that about wraps it up for us on this week's Hail Mary podcast. I'm Atos. And I'm the Toves. We'll be back next week to preview the UAB game. Birds up. <laughs>